Before I get uh, into the message for today, I wanted to take just a minute to address uh, the conflict, the war uh, between Hamas and Israel. Uh, I will not do this justice in one minute. Um, but it's been really heavy uh, on my heart over the last week, so I feel compelled to say something. Um, I also hope to have some resources available uh, for you all sometime in the near future, so be looking for that. <clears throat> As Christians, we do not have the option of asking whose side are we on or which nation should we Christians support. These kinds of binary questions ignore the fact that we as followers of Jesus should never unilaterally side with one nation or another, even our own. We should stand on the side of justice and on the side of peace. Because Jesus never stood on the side of a nation. He stood on the side of mercy, justice, grace, and love. The atrocities committed by Hamas should be condemned. And it makes me sick to my stomach. And the force of retaliation by Israel also makes me sick to my stomach. In both cases, we have image bearers taking the lives of fellow image bearers. How can this do anything but grieve the heart of We are commanded to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And there are families, mothers, and fathers, and sisters, and brothers who are mourning deeply this morning, right now. The losses in Israel and in Palestine must break our hearts as they must continue to break us as we consider the losses in Ukraine and Russia. Our God is a God of justice. We are not the gods of justice. We must love, we must mourn, and we must grieve. We must ignore the calls of people that tell us that we must unilaterally support one side or the other. We recognize and condemn the atrocities of Israel against Palestine over the last many decades. And we recognize and condemn the actions of Hamas to initiate these most recent battles. But in the end, we must find the narrow third way. The way that calls us not to fealty to nations, but fealty to Christ. May we be those who mourn with those who mourn today. To end, I just want to pray the only prayer that makes sense to me right now. In the Greek, it goes like this. Kyrie eleison. 
Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, which means, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Father, we are a broken people. A people that somehow see no other option but to respond to killing on one side with killing on the other side. How did it come to that in our minds? That we kill more to show that killing is wrong. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we pray a prayer that seems impossible, that seems naive, that seems impractical, that seems unrealistic. We pray for peace. God, how in the world could that be possible now? It is impossible with us. But all things are powerful. All things are possible through you. And so, Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for an end to the bloodshed in the Middle East. An end to the bloodshed in Ukraine. Father, may we, as followers of you, find the way of peace. And may we look to you for our, for our template, for our model, for our hope, God. In your powerful name, we lift all these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, <clears throat> good morning, everybody. I am glad to see you all here this morning uh, and online. Um, yeah, let's get into it. So, um, one morning, probably 15 years ago or so now, kind of an estimate, uh, we were still living in Brooklyn, and I would take the train, the subway, into work, uh, into Manhattan every morning. Uh, and one morning, so I'm waiting for the train, there's this uh, young guy, probably mid to late teens, uh, standing next to me waiting for the train, standing on the platform next to me. He wasn't someone that I usually saw this time of morning. Uh, in the mornings, you, you would stand at the same place on the platform, uh, and you'd see a lot of the same people at the same time of morning going into commuting to work together. But this is a guy I hadn't seen uh, with the other usual commuters I saw, but obviously not a big deal that happened quite a bit. So we both get on the train and it's packed, right? There must have been a delay or something because we were shoulder to shoulder and uh, he and I grabbed one of the center poles, this young man and I, we're almost chest to chest. The train was taking its good old time because of whatever happened to uh, make the train late and all that happened next took place between one stop. Uh, so at one point, we're sitting there holding the, the, rail, the pole and, and I noticed that he's starting to sway. And I looked up into his face and I saw that his lips were stark white. And he was a darker complected individual. White lips. I mean, just, it was kind of scary. I also started to notice some sweat on his forehead. And his eyes were kind of drooping. And I was like, oh, he is not in a good way. And the first thought that I had 
was, please, God, don't let him throw up on me. <laughs> now, Andrew and I lived in New York for a lot of years, and I rode the train more times than I can, I can count. Without going into detail, I have seen people do every bodily function on the train. And I can tell you that I did not that want that one on me. I could tell that this kid wasn't going to make it on his feet. So I quickly cleared a path through the people. I, I made a guy get out of his seat so that this kid could have one. And the guy moved. And, and uh, so I, he just kind of sat down and leaned his head back and closed his eyes. He was still sick, but at least he was away from my shoes. <laughs> used to wear a suit to work, so they were decent shoes. I could tell other people had the same idea because they started backing away as well uh, from this kid, as much as they could on that crowded train. But the danger wasn't over. If he passed out or threw up on the train, it would not get me in. It may not get on me, but the train would still be delayed, and I would still be late for work. So we finally get to the next stop, and I help this kid out of his seat. I clear a path through the people, and I got him to the door. We get, we get outside onto the platform. Uh, I, you know, behind him to stay out of his blast radius. <laughs> we find a bench, and I sit him down on the bench. And then I tell him to see a station attendant. I get back on the train, and I make it to work on time. It wasn't until probably 20 minutes later that it even occurred to me that I could have or should have done more. I was really embarrassed. I'm embarrassing saying it out loud to you all. And it was embarrassing enough that I left this poor kid alone in the train station, but on top of that, staying with him and getting him help didn't even occur to me as an option until later. This kid needed help. He needed someone to stay with him and get the attention that he needed. You know, sometimes we'll say something like, well, we can't help everybody, right? Just the people that God puts in our path. <laughs> I mean, this poor kid obviously in my path, and I saw him as nothing more than an inconvenience. I left him alone, probably to pass out on a subway platform bench. I'll tell you, that memory haunted me for a long time. Almost every single day after that, on the train to work, I thought about it. Because there was a woman who rode the train at the same time and in the same car as I did who was there when it all went down and saw everything that I did. So every time I saw her, I thought about my own stupid selfishness that allowed me to overlook this kid so that I wouldn't be late for work. I was reminded every day of when I just totally blew an opportunity to love someone who desperately needed it. You ever blown it? Just, just blown it. You ever had that? Amen. <laughs> you ever had an opportunity to do something that you knew God wanted you to do, and you just didn't do it? 
Or maybe it was the other way around. It was something that God didn't want you to do and you did it anyway. You know that feeling in your gut? It's almost hot. At least that's the way it feels for me. Like hot iron in my gut. That guilt. What do you do with that? You just forget it? You know, I can say, well, at least I helped them a little. You know, what I did wasn't that bad. You know, maybe you rationalize your actions like, well, I was still kind of new to my job and I wanted to make sure I was there on time. You know, you say, God forgives, right? And maybe you're the kind of person uh, who dwells on your failure constantly. Right? You just get inside your own head and you just can't get out. I'm not typically that kind of guy who just dwells on my failures all the time. But in this instance, I was face-to-face with my failure every single morning when I saw that woman. (laughs) What do I do with that? How do we deal with the times when we just blow it? We're going to look at a passage today that I think will help us out. We're going to be in Matthew 21, uh, verses 28 to 32. If you're using the Bibles next to you, it's on page 468. Um, We just wrapped up a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're going to be getting into a short series on our ministries of reconciliation uh, coming up, which I'm really looking forward to. We're going to start that series in a couple of weeks. Next week, we're actually going to be watching another uh, interview video with a second missionary family. I'm really excited about that. We can live stream it, for those of you watching online. Uh, We can live stream this one. They are in New Mexico. We can share where they are uh, openly. So I'm really excited about that. Um, So hope you can be there for that one. Um, So I wanted to take a look at this parable today because I've read it so many times, but as I was thinking back on that day on my experience on the train, it was breathed with new life for me. So I want to give just a little bit of background first. So, So Jesus encounters some religious experts, right, the religious leaders of the time, and they ask him about his authority, right? So I'm going to read a little bit, actually starting just a few verses before our passage for today. I'm going to be starting in verse 23, Matthew 21, 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven? Or was it from human origin? So they discussed it among themselves and they say, "If, If we say it's from heaven, then he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, look at all the people around here. We're afraid of all the people because they think he was a prophet. So they're talking amongst themselves. What do we do? We're, you know. So they turn around, they go back to Jesus and they say, we don't know. (laughs) Good job, guys. That That was great. Good job. So then Jesus says, all right, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So remember, here the chief priests had heard the teachings of John the Baptist. That'll be important later. So Jesus has set the chief priests up here. He kind of traps them in their own questioning. And this is where we pick up with our parable for today. Jesus tells the chief priests actually a series of three parables. We're just going to be looking at one today. Uh, So we're going to pick up here in verse 28. 
So what do you think, Jesus says? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, the son answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And that son answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two, two sons did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. The, the chief priests answered the first. So the situation that Jesus describes is pretty straightforward, right? You got two sons. The father asks them to go work in the vineyard. One says no, but later does it. The other says sure, but doesn't do it. When Jesus asks who actually did what dad wanted, the answer, of course, is the first son, despite his initial response. So then Jesus goes on to apply this parable to his audience. Remember who his audience is, right? It's the chief priests. And this is where it gets a bit ugly for them. Uh, verse 31. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Ouch. <laughs> and he doesn't stop there. I actually had written ouch. <laughs> verse 32. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So let's do some imagining here, okay? You're a, you're a chief priest. You are raised from birth to know the scriptures. You're educated. You're looked up to. You're a pillar of society. You can pass judgments. You can make declarations. For all intents and purposes, you are the man in this society. And here you are being told by Jesus that the filthy, low-down, dirty, grubby sinners like the tax collectors and prostitutes, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you? Excuse me? How is that even possible? Remember, the kingdom of God is where God is king. It's where he reigns. Heaven is where his kingdom is perfected, but the kingdom of God is also right here. That's what Jesus came to bring. We're working through the power of his spirit to bring his donkey kingdom here on earth like it is in heaven. When he died on the cross and rose again, he bridged the gap between sinful man and perfect God. It made unbroken communion with God possible again. So Jesus is saying here that somehow something that the tax collectors and prostitutes did allowed them to experience this kingdom of God ahead of the lifelong law of God devotees. So what was it that they did? Well, here's where it gets back to our main question. When you blow it, what can you do? Both John the Baptist and Jesus came preaching repentance and that Jesus was the way to salvation. The tax collectors and prostitutes heard this message, realized that they had blown it, and used the opportunity to change. They repented. The chief priests heard this message, 
And all they heard was competition to their position in society, competition to their religious way of life. When you get to a point where you know you've blown it, it can just feel rotten. Right? But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity for heart check. Right? What is it in your heart that made you do or not do a certain thing? Over the years since my interaction with that kid on the train... I've had a lot of opportunity to check my heart about that time. And in the end, it was your basic, ugly self-centeredness. Right? I was only considering myself in those moments. Now, if anyone from the outside was just looking at some of my initial actions, right, getting him a seat uh, on, on the train and, and escorting him off and finding a bench, if they were just looking at some of those initial actions, it might have looked like I was trying to help the guy. But really... I was helping myself. And as always happens, my actions eventually found me out in the end when I left him alone on a bench at Atlantic Avenue. Proverbs 21, 2. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs The Lord can see into our hearts deeper and more perfectly than we can. He weighs the heart. And one way, not the only way, but one way that we can weigh our hearts is by looking at our actions. Right? Our actions show where our heart truly lies. The chief priests, they were doing all kinds of things by obeying the letter of the old covenant law, but when it came to doing what God wanted them to do, to repent and believe as John and Jesus preached, they didn't do it. Right? They were like the second son who said, yeah, I'll do what you want, Dad. They stayed on the couch playing video games. I know that one all too well. That was me so many times growing up. Sure, Dad. Yeah, I'll mow the lawn, whatever. Continue playing Mario Kart. That was me. When you blow it, when your actions reveal something ugly, what can you do? You go to your own heart. You ask God to search your heart and reveal what's really going on in there. One thing that made the chief, the, the chief priests so mad was that Jesus put them and the tax collectors and prostitutes on the same level. I mean, actually, he made them a little lower uh, than the tax collectors and prostitutes. They're all sinners. Just like us, we are all fellow fallen image bearers. There is no ranking of sinners from least to worst. You know, think of the politician that makes you most want to throw up in your mouth. You are just as much in need of repentance and forgiveness as they are. Where's the ouch? There it is. Yeah. yeah. We're all on the same level at the cross. The chief priests heard the message from John, the message of repentance, which means to, to, to turn away or to have a change of heart. And specifically, what were the words that Jesus used? Verse 32, 
And you did not believe him. And even after you saw this, you did not, what? Repent and believe him. You did not change your heart and believe him. Jesus was calling for a heart check. He was telling them that they were neglecting the poor. They were self-serving and self-righteous. And when they were told that they blew it, they ignored the call to examine their hearts. Just like me on that train platform, their actions found them out. Now, when the tax collectors and prostitutes heard the message of repentance, what happened? They got a guilt check, and they used the opportunity for a heart check. They looked inside themselves and saw the ugliness in their hearts, and they turned from it. With God's grace, they were able to change. And look what Jesus said. They are entering the kingdom of God. They were able to experience the kingdom of God in their lives when they took a moment to say, my actions are showing me something about my heart right now. What is it? There's a, this is a big step in experiencing the reign of God in our lives. But here's the coolest thing. When we use the opportunity to turn guilt checks into heart checks, it's, it's not only that God can show us what's going on in our hearts as we reflect, but he's not going to slam us against the wall over it. We're not going to God for our penance and punishment. Jesus already took that. John 3:17, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him." When He reveals us to ourselves, He can then forgive you, and you can walk in His freedom. You can go to those that you harmed and begin to try to make it right. I couldn't make things right. With that kid from the train. I never saw him again. So I just have to trust that God forgives me for my ignorance and blindness that morning. But when we get that guilt check and we use it as a heart check, God can reveal the root of what's going on in us and give us a way forward in his love and in his mercy. So let's go back to our question from the beginning here. When you blow it, what can you do? You can see that moment as an opportunity to check your heart. Did my actions reveal something about what's going on inside? The Pharisees didn't ask that question. They didn't take advantage of the opportunity to grow and to change. Uh, earlier I mentioned that Jesus was laid out three parables uh, and we're just looking at the one. But after he tells all three parables, the very next line in Matthew twenty-two fifteen 15 is, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. See, they didn't repent. They didn't examine their hearts. They saw an attack and started plotting ways to trap him. Instead of growing in the fruit of the spirit, they grew in their jealousy and pride and started finding ways to take him out. When we refuse to see ourselves when we ignore the chances to turn in a Jesus direction, we end up even more set in our ways, more prideful, more resistant to growth. 
Now listen, it is never too late to change, to turn toward Jesus. It is never too late. But if we don't, it'll kill us. What if we here at Marsh Creek could take advantage of our heart check moments? How might our actions be affected? If, rather than wallowing in guilt, rather than uh, brushing it off and saying it wasn't really that big a deal, right? If we can recognize those moments as a call from God to examine our own hearts, then we have opened ourselves up to the healing and growing touch of God in our lives. We become open to his leading and his speaking into us. And that's the kingdom of God. We are letting God be king in our circumstances and allowing him to change us. We'll start to walk in the way of our donkey Messiah as we walk the path of his donkey kingdom. So let's look at our actions. Let's examine our hearts and let's open up our lives to God's touch and his leading so that we too can experience this kingdom of God.